I have been so grateful for the Lenten reflections that different members of our congregation have written to go along with each of the theme words from the Psalms for Lent. I'm thankful for reflections by David and Tina on the word shame, by Kim and Karen on the word suffering, by Kathy and Linda on the word warned, by Judy and Joanne on the word distress, by Al and Tim on the word mercy, and now this past week the reflections by Helen and Bob on the word for Palm Sunday, enter. All of those reflections accompanied by Britta's artwork week by week have resonated with me, have moved me. One of the things I have realized too is that as I have read those reflections, I hear them in my mind in the voices of the ones who wrote them, their tone, the cadence, the way they pronounce words. It comforts me to know that in the length and depth of my relationships with those persons, I can summon up each of their individual voices, even after we've been apart for so much of this past year. So I would encourage you, if you haven't already read those reflections or seen the artwork, to go to our church Facebook page and find them there. It will be well worth your attention. This week, Helen Beery wrote the first of two reflections on the word enter. She writes of going on a retreat in Michigan, arriving there to meet her spiritual director, being given the scripture about Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, reading it, and then fatigued from the trip, falling asleep and dreaming. She tells the story of her dream. I am standing in the doorway of the upper room, looking in. The scene before me is similar to Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. Jesus sits at a long table in the middle of his disciples. A disciple bars my entry saying, no women allowed, only men. I am scared and want to immediately turn around and leave, but then I happen to catch Jesus looking at me. He smiles, he says, Helen, come in, enter. I read that, and like I said, I could hear the words spoken in Helen's gentle, thoughtful, and clear voice. It was so personal, so truly welcoming, this way that she voiced Jesus' invitation in her dream. He smiles. He says, Helen, come in, enter. I think about the times when I have felt invited in, invited to enter. And then I think about the times I haven't. Certainly there have been times when my approach to the entrance felt like it was received by a less than friendly response. Just this past week I had to go to the BMV, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, and as I walked up on the sidewalk outside, there were three other people just standing there. Can we go in? I asked. The one man held up his piece of paper with a number on it. The woman brings the number out to you, he said. Another man, frowning behind his mask, added, I didn't know that. I went in and she yelled at me. I tried to lighten the mood. Well, thanks for making that mistake and saving me from getting yelled at, I said. He ducked his head down. Yeah, well, seems like I make a lot of mistakes. I don't know if the woman at the BMV actually yelled at him when he tried to enter, but I could imagine it being possible because I could see the stress on all the workers when I was finally allowed to enter. No one was smiling. The vocal inflections were not particularly friendly. The woman monitoring the door must have been the manager because the other workers would ask for her to review documents or add her signature. But all the while she was 
hurrying around the room, spraying down each station after each customer left, directing people as they came in to sit in the chairs six feet apart, printing out numbers for customers and then going outside to hand them out, and most importantly, it seemed, from the way she went about things, monitoring the door to keep people from entering before their turn. I only have one seat available, she would say when she opened the door. No smile, no friendly tone, not like Jesus in Helen's dream. He smiles, he says, Helen, come in, enter. Bob Bowman was the other person who wrote a reflection for this past week on the word enter. I appreciated his three points. First, that it takes movement to enter. You cannot enter without moving forward. Second, that entering involves leaving. When we enter one room, we inevitably leave another. Enter trust by leaving fear, he wrote. Enter hope by leaving despair. And third, that there is risk involved. It might look dark beyond the entrance. It may give us pause. But even prior to writing that reflection for all of us to read. Bob had sent me an email as he was studying the text for this morning and thinking about the word enter. He wrote, I'm struck especially by verse 19 and the plea, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Given that the gates of the temple in Jerusalem were referred to as the gates of righteousness, he continued, this plea is especially poignant during the pandemic time as, we, as an expression of the yearning of, of many of us in the congregation for the time when the doors of the church building will be open so that we might enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. A week from now, on Easter Sunday, we plan to be worshiping in person, but it will be outside, not inside, not within this space not in this sanctuary. And it will be good for us to be together, but I think Bob's right. I think many of us do yearn for a time when we will be able to worship in this very space, to come through the doors into the building and then once inside the building, to enter through the doors into the sanctuary. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord, writes the psalmist. And indeed, it seems that the yearning in that scripture text is about place, We cry out, we pray to enter a place, a holy space. And when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem as he is approaching the gates of the city, he may be thinking quite literally about entering the city, entering the temple, entering those physical spaces. And the words of the psalmist are likely echoing through his mind. In his religion, going to Jerusalem, going to the temple is important. Those places are important. Entering them is important. But I also have to assume that he is thinking about more than just walking through the literal gates, moving from one physical space to another. I think he must also be thinking about the transition from everything that is past as he enters into everything that is ahead. Entering through the gates marks a moment of transition a physical transition into another physical space, but it also marks an emotional transition, a psychological transition, a relational transition, a spiritual transition. 
He enters the city that day and cloaks are laid before him, palm branches are waved and shouts of Hosanna ring out. It is quite an entrance, but it is not just an entrance into the city, into the temple. It's an entrance into the anticipation of the pain, the passion, the adoration followed by the rejection that is even then just around the corner. It is an entrance into the known and yet unknown future. Jesus isn't just entering into a physical place. He's entering into a new stage of his life. And it seems to me that we, right now, are as well, in a way, walking through the gates of the known and yet unknown future. It is both. We see what is coming and we don't know what is coming. We are at another threshold. Vaccines are being distributed, but it remains to be seen how many will actually get them and whether those vaccines will be distributed quickly enough to prevent another surge of the virus. We've entered into a next chapter of political leadership, but have the underlying issues and our disagreements about how to engage them actually changed at all? March Madness, is it a reference to college basketball or does it better describe recent mass shootings? What is across the next threshold? What is through the next doorway? I circle back in my mind to Bob's statement about how entering the gates of righteousness could be understood as a reference to a time when we can gather again in this building of worship. And I recognize that I have this strange combination of feelings around that. Feelings of responsibility mixed with feelings of anxiety. Feelings of yearning mixed with feelings of uncertainty. I think of all the things that need to be accounted for. Health, personal levels of risk and comfort, old patterns reestablished but also adjusted. Different people with different needs and different boundaries. Questions of whether continuing to be cautious is more about faithfulness or about fearfulness. It's not just a matter of opening the doors and having everyone come marching in. But I think too about Helen's dream of Jesus catching her eye and naming her name. Come in, he says, enter. And I keep thinking about the way of, that the way of Jesus isn't the way of gatekeepers of hall monitors, of one bureaucrat standing at the door and checking each person's number. I only have one seat available. The rest of you wait out there. And then I think, too, about the points of entry that we have already established or failed to establish in the life of the church. What offers of entry we make or don't make to those who want to come in and sit at Jesus' table. Have we made it hard or have we made it easy? Have we created multiple doors or have we created one door with a lock and a password? Holy spaces need clear thresholds for certain, but do they need any barriers? Years ago in a church I was serving at the time, a woman came to me and told me a story about that church. She had walked by the church many, many times. Something about it felt appealing to her, but she had never entered, just walked by. And finally, she got up her courage and decided that she was going to go to church one Sunday. 
She found out what time worship would be held. She carefully chose what clothes to wear, although still unsure about herself and her plans. On that Sunday, she arrived early, but not too early. She turned off the sidewalk and went to the door, a big double door, wooden with small, opaque, stained glass windows set in each door, and she grabbed the handle and she pulled, and it would not open. The door would not open. She thought maybe she wasn't working the door handle right. She tried again. She couldn't get it open. She almost started crying, she told me. She felt devastated. All that courage, all that talking herself into trying it, all for nothing. She turned to leave. But before going, she decided to try one more time. She pulled on the handle hard. And the door opened, but immediately she realized that it wasn't her effort that opened it. Someone on the inside, walking by, heard the rattling of the door and pushed it open from the inside. Hey, the person said as they continued down the hallway, come on in. And she did. After that, it seemed simple, finding her way to the sanctuary, getting a bulletin, finding a seat. When she was telling me this story, she told me that when the door wouldn't open at first, she thought maybe it was a sign from God, a sign that she wasn't welcome to enter, not just at the church, but that God didn't want her. She had done something, you see, that she had wrapped her life around in such a way that she had convinced herself that God would never forgive her. Coming to the church that morning felt to her like her last chance. And then when the door opened and the person with no big fuss said, hey, come on in, that too felt like a sign from God. Later on, she discovered that the door she had tried to come in was a door that was only ever rarely used. The regular entrance was on the other side of the building. Most people drove to church and came in through the parking lot door. Almost no one walked to church and came in through the door she had come to. That day, whoever was in charge of unlocking the church had simply forgotten to unlock this big wooden door that was so rarely used. It just happened that someone inside was walking by when she tried one last time to enter. And the passerby heard her trying to get in. Her entrance hung on such a tenuous thread. Now, here's the thing. That woman kept coming to church. And even though almost no one else used it, she kept using that door. It was her way in. It was holy to her. When she was telling me the story, I smiled when I asked if she wanted her own key. She smiled back when she said, no, just make sure it's open. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. I wonder about the courage that it takes to try a new door, to rattle the knob even when it's locked, to try to get in once, twice, even a third time. I wonder about people who are passing by in the hallway, hear the noise outside and push the crash bar. Hey, come on in. And I wonder how often we miss a moment like that 
never aware that the sound on the other side of the door means something. And I wonder how often we forget to unlock doors everywhere. And I wonder about the people standing on the curb waiting for a number after they were yelled at when they tried to walk in to get one. I also wonder about people who feel pressure to control the crowd and begin to forget that the crowd is made up of people, each with their own needs, their own story, their own shame or suffering or distress. And I wonder what Jesus felt as he rode through the gates of the city and walked through the gates of the temple, entering into the known and the unknown. And I wonder about the day when people will come through these doors again. How will it feel to be part of that crowd? I wonder about entering into a new season in the life of the church, the season of after-pandemic. And I wonder about all kinds of people who want to enter particular places but can't or aren't allowed. I wonder how we can change our society, our culture, our system to throw open doors that have too long been closed to those who live on the outside of privilege, of advantage, of economic stability. And I wonder whether we are willing to look at the ways in which we are like the holy, weak crowd, lifting our voices in Hosanna today, but just as quickly turning to shouts of crucify him, opening up and just as quickly closing off. And I wonder about what thresholds you are each about to cross. And I wonder about who will catch your eye and call your name and invite you in to the known and the unknown future. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Amen. Please join me in some moments of silent prayer and reflection.